Just following instructions. <laughs> it's still not on? <laughs> no? All right. Whew. All right. The great thing is that that was all scripted in the notes, too. All of that. That's just to make sure you are with us and paying attention. All right. All right. So Moses, I just thought Moses is this perfect character that really articulates this, this phrase, I, I'll stand. I mean, he's just this, this perfect guy. And we're going to talk about Moses this morning. Now, you saw a lot of the story in the video uh, that, that we'll talk through. Well, we won't get through everything in the video this morning, uh, but that's the great thing. You have your own Bible. And so you can go and you can read and you can study that as we keep walking through this story, uh, this series called The Story. So let me see. How, how many of you got your Bibles this morning? Yeah? All right, not bad, not bad. All right, we're gaining ground, gaining a little traction. So, um, but if you held up your day timer, okay, I, I can I can see the difference. But that was was a good was a good try, good try. Um, we're going to take a look at this, and I want to recap for just a little bit. We talked uh, several weeks ago about this creation, and that that this God, the very first verse of the Bible, this this word assumes that there is a God. It assumes that this God is a creator, and it assumes that this God was before we were. And that's a very important thing to our faith. In fact, the whole story that we're walking through this entire year, it's so important that we say, you know, there is a God. He created us. He's been around forever. And that we have that starting as our basis. But as we moved on and we talked about, uh, we talked about Adam and Eve and then uh, ab- about Abraham, uh, what we really talked about in, in each of these characters up till now is the word faith. Is that God asked something of them and it required of them to have faith in him even when they didn't quite know why he asked them to do something or not to do something. Adam and Eve, look, eat of anything. Just don't eat of this one tree. Why, God? Why? Faith. Just, just follow it in faith. Abraham, I'd like you to get up from your hometown and I want you to move. Why, God? Uh, just move. Just go. Just have faith and see what I will do. Joseph was the same way. I have this, this great thing that's going to happen to your life, Joseph, but you're going to have to go through all kinds of adversity before it ever happens. Why? Why would I have to go through adversity? Just have faith. Just follow and have faith. In each of these situations, God, God follows through. Well, this morning, really, we're going to talk through another character that has this similar type of story. But let me ask you something before we get into it, because I think it was the question that could be posed to Moses in the story as well. The question is, are you living this morning in the safe zone, or are you living in the faith zone? It's two different places. You see, there's a safe zone in our life where we never venture out into faith, where we never look at God's word and we say, man, that is a hard challenge, God. I'll step out into that challenge and I'll try it, even though logically it doesn't quite fit in my head why I should do that. And then there is the faith zone where we look at those things and we just say, I'm just going to live it. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to make it happen. And I'm just going to trust that God has something in this for me. So is it a safe zone or is it a faith zone? And that's the question we want to ask ourselves as we're walking through it. You see, I believe that most of us, we live our life in the word risk. It's risks that we've taken and risks that we have shied away from. And so this morning, I think that as we look at the story of of Moses, that we find that Moses would have had to assume a a little bit of risk if he was going to follow God and walk forward uh, from God. So let's pick it up. If you've got your Bibles, Exodus chapter 1. Remember, we've just finished off in the story of Genesis, 
And now uh, Joseph and, and his, all of his brothers in that generation, they're going to pass away. Check it out in verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all of that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. You see, this, this new king here, this new pharaoh, uh, he was pretty nervous about when he looked out and he saw what, in his view, was just these foreigners that were everywhere. And we need to do something about this. And he got, a, he got pretty upset about it, and he formulated his plan, as a king would be allowed to do. And uh, his, his, his plan was now to, to make them slaves. Verse 11, pick it up. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. Stop there for a second. Isn't it interesting that here we find that when they were persecuted, and then when they were made slaves and slave masters over them, that they multiplied even more. Isn't that interesting? In fact, if you study your church history, you will find that whenever a group of Christians are persecuted— you'll then read about a story of growth as well. And in many situations, you'll even hear about a story of revival that occurs as well when God's people are oppressed. I'd love to say that, uh, that when we're comfortable, everything grows as well, but uh, seemingly there are times when we get incredibly comfortable in our faith where no persecution whatsoever exists, but then there's also those times during there where we start to wane on our faith when things are very comfortable. So they're being persecuted. They're slaves now, and they grow even more. And let's pick it up in verse 13. And work them, or they worked them ruthlessly. They made them, their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Then flip over to verse 22. Pharaoh has a solution to all of this. He says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people. Every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. And Pharaoh was petrified of these, of these Israelites that were growing in numbers. And so he decided the only way to really work this situation, I pushed them hard, is to kill all the boys. <laughs> kill all the boys. And then none of these boys will grow up and and be numerous here. Now he's going to keep the women around, but he's going to destroy all, all the males in this situation. He had already tried it actually once with the midwives, and the midwives said, no, we're not going to do that, and they follow God. And so he takes matters in his own hand, throwing every boy into the Nile. But we learn in this story what happens in chapter 2, that this one baby is, is spared when the mother puts the baby in a basket and sets the basket afloat on the Nile River. And who should come along with it but the daughter of Pharaoh who comes along and finds his baby and takes the baby in as her own and raises this kid as her own. The most amazing thing, if you haven't read the story and you don't know all the details of it, is when she was looking for somebody to nurse the baby, it's actually Moses' mom that, that is brought in. And so Moses' mom even has the blessing of watching this child grow up, at least at the early ages. And so Moses, we find, grows up in Pharaoh's house. Now think about it. 
Pharaoh puts an order to kill all these babies, and then now there is a baby growing up in his house. You know, he is, you know, he's grandpa here to, to this baby, now growing up in his house. But we find that, that Moses grows and has great favor in Pharaoh's house. In fact, all we know is that when Moses grows up, he grows up and he's treated pretty much like another son. And that he's cared for, he gets the best education, he gets all of the best food and, and whatever else. He grows up in this life of privilege. Now let me ask you, would you ever want to leave that type of life? Would you want to leave that? Think about the times in your life when you've struggled salary-wise, and you were just hoping at some point in time that you would be making more money, Right? And finally, one day, it comes. You get the raise or, you know, you get the different job and more income and stuff. Did you ever sit and think, you know, I appreciate the greater check, but I'd really like to go back to the struggling. <laughs> I'd really go back, like to go back to when there was less. I'd like to go back to the unemployed state, you know. Um, we don't think that. Why would Moses then ever want to live this? I mean, this is a nice, comfortable life. But we find for Moses that one day, as he's looking out and he's watching the slave masters and he's watching them you know, treat the way they treat the Israelites, his brothers. And as he looks out and he sees these, something snaps within him. Now remember, I mean, Moses at this time, he's a grown man. He's seen this for many, many, many years. And something about this day, though, snaps within him and he sees this, this person being treated harshly and he ends up killing the Egyptian that's doing the, the beating, killing him. He buries the body in the sand. The next day he comes back to, uh, to some Israelites that are now arguing that brother against brother here. And he says, hey, why are you arguing? What are you doing? And he learns that even these Israelites have heard of what he's done and they even are fearful <laughs> that he might do the same to him. And we find that Moses, he flees, he runs. You see, Moses took an incredible risk when he looked out to even have pity on a fellow Israelite who's, who's being beat. He took a great risk here. We know it was a great risk because what, we learned the, that Pharaoh's response was that his anger burned in, in him in chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter uh, 4, that his anger burned so much in him that he wanted to now kill Moses. This young boy that grew up into a man in his household, and now he wants to kill Moses. So Moses flees, right? He goes out to Midian, and he hangs out here in Midian, and he, we find that he comes to the rescue of these, these ladies who are out uh, going to uh, a watering well, and he comes to the rescue of them and, because they're being threatened by some, some bullies out there, and so he takes care of it. And when he f goes with the, the ladies back to where they live, we learn that the father actually gives one of the daughters to Moses to marry. And so Moses marries. Now, the man only has daughters, seven of them, no sons. And so guess who stands to, to inherit all of Jethro, the man's names, all of his, his, what he has to offer? It's Moses now as, as this man now in the family. And so if Moses now has worked himself into this position where he's now married, now they have a child, and he stands to inherit all that Jethro has to offer, that becomes a second pretty comfortable life. You would ask the question, why would he ever take any risk to get out of that comfortable life once again? It doesn't make a lot of sense. But we're going to find in the rest of this story that that's exactly what God calls him to do. 
He comes to him and says, look, I am ready to take you out of this comfort, and I'm going to put you in more discomfort than you could have ever possibly thought you would experience. Why? Because my people are enslaved, and they need to go free, and I need to use you to make it happen. If you happen to get in here this morning and you didn't get your sermon notes, uh, go ahead and slip up your hand right now and, and we'll get, because we're going to get to the blanks in just a second here, and, and you'll have the opportunity to, to fill them in. <laughs> Somebody this week said they just simply raise up their hand just to see Richard run around and give it to him. So I don't know if that's true, Richard, but um, if it is, yeah, I told that person that's not right. So after I was done giggling. So. But let's take a look at this, and, and let's jump in. The question this morning is, are we in the, the safe zone or the faith zone this morning? Are we living a life of risk? Let me ask you, in your marriage, are you living a life of risk? Uh, you say, what do you mean? Um, well, I say that, that you look at your spouse, and do you, every day do you tell yourself, look, I'm going to love you, I'm going to choose to love you unconditionally. That's a risk. I mean, when you turn to somebody and you say, turn and look at your spouse right now, would you? Yeah. When you turn to that person, you said, I'm going to love you unconditionally. You know what that is? That is irrational. It makes no sense. Because that person is going to do things that drive you batty, that drive you crazy. It's risk. Marriage is a risk. Are you willing to step out and risk and work on that marriage? 50% of our, our nation is not willing to do that. Not willing to step out in that type of risk. How about with your finances? Are you risky with your finances? Now, when I say risky with your finances, I don't mean, you know, you're out there gambling and betting at night, hoping maybe it'll pay off, you know, one in multiple, multiple million chances of that lotto. So, you know, I'm going to pump my paycheck into it. That's not what I'm talking about, risk. All right. But when God says, look, tithe, be generous with what I give you, 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 you pull up to a corner and somebody's in need, are you going to open their window and offer it to them? You hear about somebody that's short on a bill and are you going to say, gosh, that really resonates with me. I was short once and somebody helped me. It's risky to, be, to, to give your money the way God says that we're to use our finances. That's a bit risky in life, right? And sometimes it doesn't even make sense to give 10% to God in our world. That's irrational type thinking. It's a risk, right? The step out and risk. <clears throat> how about the Sabbath? I love this one. I was thinking about this this week. It, how risky is it for you in your life to take a day, to take Sunday and say, look, I am going to rest on Sunday. I'm going to get before my God. I'm going to let God speak to me. And then we're just going to recharge. I'm not going to run here and there and everywhere and do all kinds of things. I'm not going to treat that Sabbath the same way I treat the other days during the week. Let me tell you how risky it is, because I know from, from personal, is when we signed up on our, our, one of our baseball teams, we got into the season, and before we knew it, we had Sunday practices every Sunday, and then we had games starting to be scheduled on Sunday. And I had to turn to the coach and say, look, and I was actually a coach on the team, but I turned to the other coach and I said, look, I just want you guys to know, this is not a holier-than-thou speech, but we won't be there on Sundays. We won't be there for practice. We won't be there for any games. Um... I've preached that message for years, but then I had to be the one to verbalize it. It was a whole lot harder to verbalize it, let me tell you, to say that. And you run some risk. I mean, believe me, I've been a coach for a long, long time. I understand. You know, what do you think about, uh, about the, the kid who can't get to everything? You think, well, you know, I'm working hard. These kids are working hard. These guys are working hard. It's a risk, right? If we're going to honor God with the Sabbath, it's a risk. 
So the, the question today for us is, are we in the, faith, the safe zone? Are we in the faith zone? Because I believe when we step out in risk in these areas and many, many more that have already come to your mind, when we step out in faith in these areas and do what God might have called us to do, I believe God brings a solution to each of our situation, and it's a, it, it often is a very comforting solution as well. Well, let's go into this uh, story this morning, because I think if you're like me, you probably deal with things pretty similar when God asks you to do something. Uh, you might have an excuse for why you shouldn't do it, right? Um, have you ever made an excuse when God has come and asked you to, to do something, and you start down the list of reasons why you is okay should I call them reasons just so we all don't feel bad this morning no they're excuses that's what we're going to call them all right well let's look at to it let's look at this story first see God appears to Moses in this burning bush that's pretty odd in itself right and the bush actually a voice comes out of the bush that's even more so odd here God is speaking to Moses Moses recognizes this as God now that's the only part of the story that, that isn't odd, right? That if a bush was burning and speaking to you uh, and claiming to be God, we probably would believe that bush, right? So the bush is odd, the voice is odd, but believing that's God, we get it, all right? So that's what the situation that Moses is in. We're in chapter three now, and God calls Moses and he says, this is what I want you to do. I have heard the cry of my people crying out. Did you know God hears your cry when you cry out to him? I've heard the cries of my people, and I want to send you, Moses, as a deliverer. I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people